he walked out the door, headed home from work, and took a deep sigh. It had been another long, stressful, tenuous day of problem solving, of people issues, things that only he could manage and solve. And while the work was, yes, rewarding and it was something that he was uniquely qualified to do, he still was struck by how so many people that he interacted with every single day had no idea what was going on in his heart. His thoughts were broken as he walked into his home and his kids immediately rushed up to him, Daddy, Daddy, you're home, and gave him a big hug. And he spent the evening with his wife and his children, spending time together with them until they all laid down together that night to go to sleep. And he stayed awake pondering this question, do people really change? Do people really change? See, over 20 years before, Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers. And God had changed his heart. God has changed his life. Yet in walked as he was now the second in command over Egypt. 20 plus years later, to his shock and surprise, in walked his brothers. And they stood there before them. But Joseph noticed Of the ten brothers who were there, there was one missing. His only full brother, his brother Benjamin. And he wanted to see if they had changed. Because he must have thought at that point, did they do to Benjamin what they also did to me? And so in Genesis chapter 42, we read how Joseph starts a plot to see if these men who he knows as his brothers have changed in the decades that he has been apart from them. And he takes Simeon and holds him captive, sends them home with food and says, you only can come back here if you bring your youngest brother and in his mind, my full brother with me. Have you changed or have you done the same things to him? that you've done to me. Joseph was probably hopeful that soon after they would come and they would arrive back in Egypt, yet days turned to weeks, turned to months, and possibly even into a couple of years. And there Simeon was imprisoned and there was no sign of the brothers. Do people really change? Today and then next week as we journey through this life of Joseph together. And Genesis chapter 43 will be our text today. And I invite you to open up your Bibles if you have them with you. It's in page 36 of the ESV Bibles that are here in the sanctuary. We're in week six now as we journey through Joseph's and these next few weeks really dive into the transformative work that God is doing in Joseph's family, namely amongst his brothers. And as we look at our text this morning, Genesis chapter 43, we're going to witness different signs this morning of true life change that's taken place. Contrasted with who they were before, the work that God is doing and will continue to do in them as Joseph interacts with them. So Genesis chapter 43, we'll pick it up starting at verse 1. It says this. 
Now the famine was severe in the lands, just as God had spoken through Joseph. It would be seven years of famine. And when they, that's the family back in Canaan, had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father, Jacob, or Israel, said to them, Go again, buy us a little food. But Judah said to his father, The man solemnly warned us. See, we, we are reminded here of how much we know about this story, that the brothers are in the dark. Who is this ruler in Egypt? The man. That's who he is. They have no idea of who they are talking about. The man solemnly warned us saying, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. This is an expression, see my face, of having a political audience, a standing before a representative or an official. You cannot stand before me to get more food unless your brother is with you. So Judah says, if you will send our brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. To which, oh, excuse me, they says, but if you will not send him, if you don't send Benjamin with us, we will not go down. For the man said to us, you shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. So Israel or Jacob replies, Why did you treat me so badly as to tell this man that you had another brother? Why do you volunteer that information? There's 10 of you. It's not like there's one of you. And the guy's like, where's everyone else in your family? Why is he asking this? To which the brothers replied, the man questioned us carefully about ourselves and our kindred, saying, is your father still alive? Do you have another brother? What we told him was an answer to these questions. Could we in any way know that he would say, bring your brother down? They are completely in the dark of the plan that Joseph has brought about here in these verses. But then Judah steps forward and said to Israel, his father, send the boy with me and we will arise and go that we may live and not die both we and you and also our little ones, I will be a pledge of his safety. From my hand you shall require him. If I do not bring him back to you and set him before you, then let me bear the blame forever. See, in chapter 42, Reuben volunteered his two children as a pledge. And it was mostly out of anger that Reuben did it. But now Judah steps forward and offers himself. To which he replies again to say, if we had not delayed, we would now have returned twice. This first sign of true life change that we see in Judah and how he acts in this chapter is the first sign of life change is to take full responsibility. Take full responsibility. Finally, someone in this family is stepping up to the plate. Passivity has plagued this first family in Genesis all the way through, even back to Adam. Passivity as they've watched others do things as they have not stepped up and taken responsibility. And it's shocking in this chapter that it's Judah is the one who does this. See, if you remember back in chapter 37, as the brothers were sitting around having a meal while their brother Joseph was in a hole, whose idea was it to sell the kid? It was Judah's idea. 
And then in the next chapter, in chapter 38, we read of Judah's awful sexual sin that he has lived with and he has committed. Judah is by no means an obvious character to hear in the story that we would say, well, of course it's going to be Judah who steps up. But starting here in chapter 43, we begin to see a different Judah. And we're going to continue to see him even more next week in our passage in Genesis chapter 44. But finally, someone is taking responsibility and stepping up and owning the situation at hand. Pastor Bill, when he commented on Genesis chapter 42, reminded us that a confession of sin is saying the same thing about our sin as God says about it. It's taking responsibility. It's owning up to things in our lives. And if we live in constant denial and passivity, waiting for others to do things, we will never experience this life change that God would have for us. We would never live into this change that Judah shows now that he steps up to the plate. And offers himself as the one who's a guarantee that he will bring his brother back home. So Judah puts it out there. Dad, I'll be the one. Out of all of these ten, I'll step forward. I'll guarantee that Benjamin will come home. What does their father say? Verse 11. Then their father Israel said to them, If it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits in your bag and carry a present down to the man. A little balm and a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio, nuts, and almonds. It's interesting here, if you go back in this passage, that of the gifts here, balm, gum, and myrrh were specified in chapter 37. These are what the Ishmaelites had in their caravan as they took Joseph down to Egypt to begin with. And now they're bringing them down to Joseph to see him. So bring a gift with you. Take double the money with you. Remember what happened last time. You have all your money back. Take double it with you. Carry back with you the money also that was returned in the mouth of your sacks. Perhaps it was an oversight. Take also your brother. And arise, go again to the man. Then verse 14 says this. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. This is the first time in the Bible that this word mercy appears. A man calling out on behalf of God, may God grant us mercy. May he show us compassion to us in this situation. May this man grant us mercy. May he send back your other brother. Oh yeah, that's Simeon. Sorry, Simeon. Your other brother and Benjamin. And as for me, if I am bereaved of my children, I am bereaved. The second sign of life change that we see in this passage is to demonstrate radical trust. To demonstrate radical trust in our lives. See, if you're familiar at all with the book of Genesis, and if you've been walking with us at all over the last month and a half through this story, you will know that Jacob is not exactly the model parent. If you want to know how to be a father, you would do well to read most of everything in the Bible, but how Jacob interacted with his children. Lots of the situation they find themselves in is due in no small part to Jacob's failures, his failures as a father. 
And sometimes we read this lens into what Joseph, excuse me, what Jacob does here in these verses. And we say, well, see, here's again, he's, he's just kind of saying, well, because he's strung to it, he will let this happen. But what I want to propose to you this morning is that verse 14 of chapter 43 is one of the most profound examples of trusting God in all of Scripture. Verse 14 is one of the most profound examples of fully placing someone's trust in God in all of Scripture. And it's done in how, in how Jacob commends his prayer to God in the name he uses for God. So in verse 14, he uses this word, may God Almighty grant you mercy. If your Bible is like mine, there's a little number next to it. And down at the bottom, it says that that name in Hebrew is El Shaddai. May God Almighty grant you mercy. It is for a specific reason that Jacob addresses his prayer to the God Almighty. This is the fourth time this word has taken place in the narrative of Jacob's family. Let's take a look back in Genesis chapter 17 to the very first instance. To his great-grandfather, excuse me, his grandfather, Abraham. It says this, When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. I am the El Shaddai. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. I am the God Almighty, Abram, and even though you are 99 years old with no descendant, I will multiply you greatly. This name of God Almighty specifically associated with a great nation coming from Abraham. The next time it appears is in Genesis chapter 28. This is after Jacob has tricked his brother, his older brother Esau, out of the birthright. And his father Isaac is about to send him off, not knowing if he will ever see him again. And in this final blessing that Isaac gives to Jacob, he says this, May God Almighty, El Shaddai, may he bless you and what? And make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become a company of many peoples. Again, God Almighty specifically associated with the promise that from Jacob would come a multiple peoples, a great nation. The next time we see this, this word is in Genesis chapter 35. Jacob has come back into the land of Canaan from his journey. And God himself speaks to Jacob and says, I am El Shaddai. What is the command? Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. So in verse 14 of chapter 43, when Jacob is calling on God Almighty, he's saying, this is the same God who promised that I would have more children than the sand on the seashore. And so may that same God grant mercy as I now send all of my kids away is every single last one of them is now departing from me. See, Jacob put all of his children away from him. It was a huge risk. It was something that he obviously didn't feel like doing. It wasn't high on his list of things that he would have wanted. See, we know that if God has promised you, hey, you're going to have a lot of kids, for Jacob as a father, he's saying, well, I want to keep at least one here. So in case something happens to all of them, there's still at least one under my protection. 
I like to think of it as, you know, when, when all of the, the cabinet members gather together for, for perhaps a State of the Union address here in the United States. As you probably know, there's one cabinet member who's in the line of presidential succession who's not there with them. They're in an undisclosed location somewhere safe. They're called the designated survivor so that if something catastrophic were to happen, that there still is a leader in the government and they could step into that role. Benjamin had kind of been the designated survivor that Jacob had held on to, not letting him out of his sight because God had promised him that this would come to pass. But now he releases him and fully trusts God's plan for his family. I love that this prayer of trust in God Almighty is seen as well in line with Jacob's humanity and his weakness as well. That last phrase helps us realize that this was a difficult thing for Jacob to do. If I am bereaved of my children, then I am bereaved. It's this beautiful combination of his humanity, yet his trust in God. And what I love about Jacob's demonstration of trusting God here is this, is that his feelings told him not to do this. His feelings said, hold on to your son. Don't trust them. He can't leave your sight. Yet for Jacob, when his feelings came in contact to his faith, ultimately he trusted God more than what his feelings told him to do. When his feelings told him to do one thing, yet his faith in God commended him to do another, he trusted God over and against even the weaknesses of his own feelings in his heart. See, what do we do when our feelings come into conflict with our faith? For a lot of us, we would say, well, if I don't feel like it, then that must be what God's leading me to do. And so I'm not going to do it. But oftentimes, trusting God goes against every grain of emotion and feeling we have in our bodies. Sometimes trusting God is just hard. And it's painful. And nothing in us wants to do it. So what do we do when our feelings come into contrast with our faith? We lean in and trust God over and against those feelings of fear, insecurity, and doubt. See, for all of Jacob's failings as a father, Jacob knew God. Jacob knew God. He literally wrestled with God all night. Jacob knew God. And because he knew God, when his feelings didn't line up, he went with God's character over his feelings. And that's something that's difficult, but it's true for us thousands of years later, how we need to live our lives. Sometimes it's hard. It goes against our feelings to live the way that Jesus would call for his followers to live in this world. Will we go with our feelings? Will we go with our faith in God. Jacob demonstrates this radical trust in God. So the story continues in verse 15. The men took the presents and they took double the money with them and Benjamin. They arose and went down to Egypt and stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, 
Bring the men into the house and slaughter an animal and make ready for the men are to dine with me at noon. The man did as Joseph told him and brought the men to Joseph's house. And the men were, these are the brothers, were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks the first time that we are brought in so that he may assault us and fall upon us and make us servants and seize our donkeys. These are three escalating strong verbs that he would assault us, fall upon us or overpower us and seize us. He wants to kill us. He's bringing us onto home turf so that he can harm us. And so out of fear, trembling of what's going to happen to them, they run up to the steward of Joseph's house. They speak with him before they go in at the door of the house and say this, Oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks. And there was each man's money in the mouth of his sack, our money in full weight. So we have brought it again with us. And we have brought other money down with us again to buy food. We do not know who put our money in our sacks. And the steward replied, peace, shalom to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. And as a show that they weren't there in fear or to be punished, he brought Simeon out to them. The third sign of life change that the brothers should have had that they don't have in this passage is to see a different perspective. To see things from a different perspective. The brothers' response here in chapter 43 reminds us again of the response in chapter 42 where they're afraid and overcome with guilt and fear as to what is happening. And even though they were the promised family, they served the God Almighty. They, it seems as if it never crossed their minds. As if, hey, maybe this is happening to us because God is good. It never seemed to cross their minds that maybe God is doing something here. They were so focused on themselves that they missed what God was doing in their midst. See, sometimes we can be so focused on ourselves that we miss the activity of God in our lives and in our world. Busyness and worry and distractions come in and we get so focused on ourselves. We look ourselves in the mirror and think this is what really matters. That we miss all that God is doing. But when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, it reminds us to change our perspective, to get our eyes off of ourselves and to start to think of what God could be doing in and through each and every situation. See, the brothers seem to display a skeptical attitude towards God. A skeptical attitude towards God. Now, there's a place in our world for a healthy skepticism of certain things. Children, if someone comes up to you in an unmarked van and says they have candy in the back, be skeptical of that person. If you see a sign when you're driving home that says, quit your job, call this number, and you can work from home and make six figures, be skeptical of that phone number and who you're going to call. 
But oftentimes in our lives, and I think sometimes even living in an urban environment, this is true even more so of us, that we just become skeptical to so many things around us. And if we're not careful, we can become skeptical towards God. We're skeptical towards what God is doing in our lives, skeptical of what God is doing in the world. We don't need to be this way towards God. We don't have to have a skeptical attitude towards what God is doing. If you are a child of God, a believer in Jesus Christ, God promises you that every good and perfect gift comes from your Father of heavenly lights. It says in the book of Romans that if he did not spare his own son for us, how will he not graciously give us all good things? It requires for our lives a change in perspective and seeing that God may be doing something in our world that we're missing. But if we're too focused on ourselves or we're too skeptical of an attitude towards God that we may miss God's activity. The brothers missed what God was doing. So Simeon is released to them. You can sense a sigh of relief. Okay, okay, we're not going to get killed here. Maybe this will be good food after all, not our last supper. Verse 24 says this. And when the man had brought the men, that's the steward, brought the brothers into Joseph's house and given them water, and they had washed their feet, and when he had given their donkeys fodder, they prepared the presents for Joseph's coming at noon, for they heard that he should eat bread there. When Joseph came home, they brought into the house to him the present that they had with them and bowed down to him to the ground. Remember in Joseph's second dream in Genesis 37, there were 11 stars bowing down. There's now 11 brothers, for the first time, 11 bowing down before Joseph. And he inquired about their welfare and said, is your father well? The old man of whom you spoke, is he still alive? They said, your servant, our father, is well. He is still alive. And in case we missed it, they bowed their heads and prostrated themselves before Joseph. And Joseph lifted up his eyes and saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son, and said, Is this your youngest brother of whom you spoke to me? God be gracious to you, my son. We don't know exact ages. We know Joseph was 17 when he was taken. Benjamin probably was around 10, 11, 12 years old. He's now in his young 30s. He looks a little bit different, to be honest. But Joseph is overwhelmed with emotion as he realizes that this is Benjamin here. So overcome that Joseph hurried out, for his compassion grew warm. This word is the same word that Jacob prayed for, that mercy would come from God. That this man would be merciful. Joseph was compassionate. This was his mercy towards his brother. And he sought a place to weep. And he entered his chamber and wept there. Then he washed his face and came out. And controlling himself, he said, serve the food. They served him by himself, 
than them by themselves. The Egyptians ate with him by themselves because the Egyptians could not eat with the Hebrews for that is an abomination to the Egyptians. Something we see culturally, the Egyptians would eat in a separate table at a separate place from these men. And so they go to sit down and they have assigned name tags. I don't know how exactly he did it or if he just told them how they were going to sit. But they sat down before him, the firstborn according to his birthright and the youngest according to his youth. So the first is Reuben, and then the next one, and then the next. These men, because they come from four different moms, are most likely 10 of the men within about six to seven years old of each other. It's not like they're men aged 70 to 15. They're almost all in their late 30s to mid to late 40s. Yet they sit down, each one at the table, exactly like how they were born, and they looked at one another in amazement. Portions were taken to them from Joseph's table, but Benjamin's portion was five times as much as any of theirs, and they drank and were merry with him. The fourth sign of life change that Joseph is seeing if his brothers have is if they show true repentance. Do they show true repentance. See, it might be confusing. Why does Joseph give Benjamin five times more food? Was the the kid skinny and Joseph's like, I need to fatten this boy up. Give him some food. Let's go. No, what Joseph was doing was reminding the brothers of their birth order that just like he was younger than all of them, Benjamin was by far the youngest and showed extraordinary favoritism to Benjamin right in their faces because he wanted to see how they would react. Because when Joseph was shown clear favoritism towards him in front of his brothers, that's when they wanted to kill him and ultimately sold him. And he demonstrates this overt favoritism right in front of the brothers because he wants to see if true repentance had taken place in their hearts. See, Joseph overheard them talking. Remember, he's speaking through a translator. They don't know that he can understand them. And he overheard them in chapter 42 with these expressed feelings of guilt and shame for what they had done. They knew this is because of this awful thing we did to our brother. But what Joseph wants to see is have they really changed? Have they truly repented? See, feelings of guilt towards sin is a starting point in repentance. But it's not all that repentance requires of us. Do these brothers simply feel guilty for what they've done and they're going to do it again? Or do they feel guilty for what they've done and now they've changed how they live their lives? See, repentance doesn't just mean a change of feeling. It means a change of behavior. And when God calls us, his people, to repent of our sins... And it's not his harshness towards us. The Bible tells us that it's God's kindness to his people that lead us to repentance. Yes, it often starts with feeling a guilt and a shame for how we've lived our lives, for what we've done, but it doesn't end there. True repentance is a change in behavior. Are we demonstrating true repentance in our lives? 
Not just the moment that we placed our faith in Jesus. For many of us, that's decades ago. But are we living lives following Jesus of ongoing repentance each and every day? Think back to your life a year ago, three years ago, five years ago. Does it look exactly the same as it does now? Or are you, by the help of the Holy Spirit in your life, as you're repenting of your sin, continuing to turn from your sin and to live a life pleasing to God? See, true repentance is more than just feelings of guilt. It's a radical change of behavior in our lives. So do people change? Joseph's going to find out more next week. But we know that through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the moment we place our faith and trust in Jesus, the Bible says that that moment, what was dead is made alive. Do people change? Yes, because Jesus can change people. And if you're here this morning and you feel you need a change in your life, your efforts aren't enough. What you need is help from God. And he is more than willing to do it. And for those of us who've walked with Jesus for many years, or even for many months, are we continuing to repent and see transformation, change in our lives? We don't just feel bad for the sin that we've done, but by God's grace and the Holy Spirit he's given us, we see growth as we honor him more, changed by the power of the Holy Spirit each And every day. God, we thank you that you are the one who changes our lives. That the moment we placed our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, our destiny, our future, and our present are entirely changed because of what you have done for us. God, I pray that we would be witnesses in our worlds of what repentance looks like. God, if there's people here this morning who were struggling with sins, the same things that we've been with for years, God, may we have the ability to move beyond feelings of guilt, but to true life change. May we truly repent of our sin to honor and glorify you more and more in this world. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.